I am Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I head up Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter, where I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is knowledge. And we still got love for the streets. It's DITB. Ben, you like that idea? You like that? That was fine. I that was love clean. that. Man. That was that was <laughs> that was. I like that yep. a lot. You you coming up with yep. these? You're really sliding these in and there. That was worth it. That was worth it. That was that was really worth it. No, no, you know, gotta switch it up now and again. You know, gotta got, got be creative with this. Gotta keep you on your toes, isn't it? Hey man, that's good. That's good. I like that. Uh, so, uh, well, we have a lot to get to. So yeah, we do. Well, we do. How's your, how's your week been? And what have you been to? Uh okay. So a week's been good. Week's been good, but I've been listening to a lot of music actually. <laughs> this is because I te- I texted you and said I'm going to hit you with some stuff. And and while I was I was listening to Blueface at the time, and then I listened to Ugly God straight after. And I have to say. I don't understand this blue face thing. I don't get it. Like, I listened to Dirtbag, his EP. And, I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I listen to Blueface because he's off beat and it's, it's kind of... I'm like, man, what the hell are you guys listening to? Like, what is this? Why is this guy popular? I've never listened to that, the Thotiana song, by the way. So, But this EP was just terrible. Like, it wasn't good. And some of the, the similes... Uh, almost as bad as Chances. Like, he says, bitch, I'm Liddy like a titty. <laughs> or he says, I keep a cannon on me like I am... He says, I keep a cannon on me like I am Nick. <laughs> I'm like, that should be on the big day. Like, that should oh, be... Oh, boo. <laughs> so, but there was funny. There was a funny one. I like this one. Um, he says, keep sticks on me like a caddy, but you'll never catch me lacking. I like, I really like that one, but um yeah I bumped that album. I, okay. I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of that album. Uh, I listened to the Ugly God album, Bumps and Bruises. Mm. I think Ugly God is an is a really good producer. Don't get me wrong. Like I think the production was really lush, but we have to have a conversation one day about how male rappers talk about sex because it is not sexy. It is the least sexy thing. Like this this album was like eighteen percent explicitly about <laughs> sex. And I'm like, I don't know if you guys have ever actually had sex. This sounds like how I would have maybe talked about <laughs> sex when I was twelve. Like this is, so I, I couldn't get, I couldn't get, I couldn't get into that. Uh, I listened to Trippy Red's Exclamation Mark. That was I've never listened to Trippy Red before, but someone mentioned that he talks about mental health a lot. There was a song on there about suicide, but I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I haven't like delved into it. But I did not like that project either. So I've come up with three mm. off the bat that I didn't like immediately. I'm like, these... <sighs> it was a tough Saturday. It was a really tough Saturday to get through. And, you know, once I started Blueface, I'm like, well, I'm in it now. <laughs> I mean, it's like the Kanye song. I'm in it and I can't get out. So I'm like, I, gotta, I might as well just, just wade through the mire. So <laughs> I got to Baz's Spilt Milk. EP, uh, that was really chill, and mm. and Baz spit some bars on that. I kind of wanted a full project, but you know it was I think it was five tracks, four tracks, but mm. that was really dope. 
Um, mm-hmm. I listened to Bonavay's new album, I, I. Far out, man. I can't listen to Bonavay. I actually used to call him Bon Ivar. And then I was on a date with a woman like, I don't know, eight years ago. <laughs> She's like, Bon Ivar? It's Bonavay. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Bonavay? Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> He's very high art. Let's say he's very high art. And uh, that album is very heartfelt. And that guy's on another level. Like, there's some emotion that he's experiencing and going through that, yeah, that that was a really intense album. Uh, and also listened to Sigarosa's new Sleep album, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. It was pretty good. So I finished the weekend well. I started it poorly. What about yourself? See, this is the difference between you and me. Um, you have to listen to this to some of this garbage to just you know just for the just for the content, I guess. And I I don't have to. I am I'm, I'm a strict enthusiast. I know I if I know I won't rate it, you know I'm not gonna rate it. I watched uh, Sean C's reaction review on Blueface's thing, and I was creasing <laughs> up of how. Oh my god, the reactions were great. So glorious. Big up Sean C. That was amazing. When that gang, that. when the gang track came up, oh my days, he just. <laughs> spazzed out on that it was so funny but funny but funny enough you were, t- you were talking about males and sex right so one of the things i wanted to talk about was um was a uh, Mer- mer's ninth wonder ah, and the soul council yeah, okay. uh, album the iliad is dead and the odyssey is over yeah so this is um uh, if for those that don't know i had uh mer's previous album uh strange journey and seen unimaginable was my second favorite album last year uh, just out of, in my top 10. It was my second favourite. I highly enjoyed it. This one, even though Ninth Wonder and the Soul Council, you know, my, my GOAT producer and one of the best beat collectives in, in the game right now, while the production was fine, um, Murs, on the other hand, I was just... I was, I was a bit 50-50 on it. Um, okay. There is a great track at the bottom... Uh, well, there's actually a few great tracks. The first track, The Hulk, is amazing. Uh, I think... Either, I think High Noon with Rhapsody and uh, Ruben Vincent, amazing track. Uh, and the last track, Sin, really just brought it back for me. It was, it was an epic storytelling track. I mean, that might, that might be uh, in the running for like uh, my top 20 songs of the year because that was a great storytelling track. It's just amazing. But funny you talk about sex because he has this one song called Unicorn Glitter. And I want to talk, and I just want to, you know, I, I know you uh, you you mentioned uh, obviously Blueface's bars, and last week you mentioned uh, last week you mentioned Chance's bars, and obviously when we read them, it's a, you know it's a bit out of context, and some people were like, you know, hailing that, going like, yeah, you need to you need to listen to it in the context songs, and I'm like, okay, I get it, but I have to read this, I have to read some of this. Okay. So where should where should I start? Okay. It's like the hundred carat diamond There's, that's naturally occurring and protect, protected by a hymen. Some women still seem to think that their pussy just a little more pink. But as long as it's warm and the shit don't stink, ain't no coochie in the world that can make my dick shrink. <laughs> what I'm saying here, people, is I believe all vaginas created equal. Hers ain't better than hers, whether bald, full bush, or a little bit of fur. Thick chick, skinny chick, really pick any chick. It doesn't. Don't make a difference, unless you got a real skinny dick. I can I can carry on, uh, but I won't. It's, it's it's just one of those songs where I listen to it, and that's literally the majority of the song is just talking about um, just real detailed uh, sex shit, and I'm just like, who is this for? That's who, the, who is the audience this is a great for this question. song? You know, I, I'm just I'm just I was just really confused. 
I was just really confused listening to that song while it was while it while it was jamming production wise. I was just listening to Merz talk, and I'm just like, do, do women do women rate this kind of work? Yeah, because because I'm, I'm not I'm not rating it. I'm 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 a bit I'm a bit uncomfortable. I'm just like this is. I don't know who this is for. <laughs> so, so funny you talk about sex because uh, that was that was just a track that I wanted to talk about because it was just so odd to to listen to. And then I read the lyrics and I was like, this is just. I, I don't know who this is for. Very but anyway, continuing on. Uh, I also listened to, uh, yeah, very, uh, yeah, very visceral. That's a great word for it. I also listened to Baz's uh, spilled milk. Uh, you know, it's only volume one, so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm expecting you know a, at least another volume of uh, of uh, spilled milk. So I think I, we can highly assume that they were recorded, you know, during the Revenge of the Dreamer session. So you know, and they were, and they were high quality, and I really enjoyed the, the, that EP. That was a good one. Uh, another couple of EPs I also listened to Rudimentals, Distinction. Rudimentals, oh, yeah. they're great. Uh, uh, British. Mm. Um, I, I don't really know what to call them anymore. So they do dance music. They do, like, you know, just, they do big band stuff. It's, it's uh, yeah, they do a lot of good. They're they're very uh, eclectic, I guess. Uh, and yeah, they, they did a Distinction is a bit of a bit of a dancey record the uh, EP, which was uh, which it was nice. It's cool. I, I like Rudimentals. Uh, it's always it's always worth listening for me. Uh, also listened to Hamza uh, phases. Uh, she can't miss. That's all I have to say. She cannot miss. She's OP. Uh, I need a full album from her. I need a I need a good forty minutes of just amazing crooning because she's absolutely OP and she's such a gem. How, how is she not blown up? Yeah, I do not know. Big up Hamza. Uh, also. Uh, Dame Dollar, uh, Big Dollar, which is uh, Damian Lillard, yeah, who plays for the Portland Trailblazers, NBA star. Uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, the best uh, uh, basketball rapper in the game. Really? Uh, okay. d- d- don't talk to me about Shaq. Don't talk to me about Iman Shumpert. None of that. Don't give you that. Dame, uh, Dame Dollar is the G- is the G. Um, uh, the, uh, the record overall, I mean, it was a bit hit and miss for me. Um, there were a couple of... Uh, there were, uh, I'm I'm here for the check. No Nike. That was a good. That was a good hook. I enjoyed that. Uh, the little Wayne feature. As soon as I heard the auto tune, I tuned out. I just skipped track because no. Um, yeah, the feature was all right. Uh, it was yeah, but it was a bit of a fifty-fifty uh, uh, record for me. And I don't. Uh, but you know, he's, he, it's not his. It's not his first. You know, profession. You know what I mean? So I don't really care. And it was only like half an hour, so I can't really say he wasted my time or anything. So. Uh, I I enjoyed it, but it was you know, yeah it wasn't all that it wasn't all that to me. And uh, lastly, uh, PJ Morton, uh, amazing keyboardist and just uh, just so- singer songwriter as well. Uh, his uh, album Paul, uh, which is really good, uh, had a few good features on there. Jasmine Sullivan uh, and also Rhapsody as well. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was an okay record. It was okay. Um, uh, there was a I expected I guess a little bit more. Uh, there was one track called Ready. It's the first track which I, I've put in my reg rotation. That was a good. That was a good. Uh, that was a good track. But yeah, it was it was, it was okay. It was, it was so basically a really great EP. Uh, uh, a de- half decent album in Mer- well, it's a great album in Mers and Life Wonder. I would admit it's just that one song that creeps me out. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, the rest were the rest were you know okay to me. So you know, so it's been pretty pretty solid week. But yes, oh damn, twelve minutes in. Okay, let's just um, nearly ten minutes in. Why do we do this? It's t- it takes so long for us to do this. I mean, it's just because we're, we're great we're great listeners of music. We're passionate. And, uh, we're passionate. And Ben loves to take one for the team uh, constantly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, we shall get to the topic uh, of of this week, which is a another retrospective. Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we did a little retrospective on Nas. 
which uh, you guys, uh, uh, well, I, I enjoyed recording, and I, I'm sure Ben did as well. Yeah, it was great. Really enjoyed listening to that, uh, listening that back. Yeah, really, really good episode. I really enjoyed it. So I thought we should do another one. And since it was in this past week, we had uh, anniversaries for uh, Straight Out Compton, MWA, and also the Compton album <laughs> that uh, yeah. Doctor Dre released uh, as part of the Straight Out of Compton film. The reason why we're laughing about this, ladies and gentlemen, is because. Uh, our wires got crossed when we were talking about this mm. beforehand because uh, I brought up the topic and I mentioned Compton's anniversary and then uh, Ben listened to Straight Outta Compton going talking about the political side of it and all this and I'm just like wait are we talking about the same Compton <laughs> and apparently we weren't so yeah, yeah, so nice 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 that. little uh, story of a miscommunication <laughs> there but anyway uh, yeah so we're gonna do a little re- retrospective on Dr. Dre now I will say as a disclaimer uh, similar to Nas, we're not going to... Well, I'm going to mention right now, obviously, uh, Dre has had in his life many more... Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, uh, bad things done upon people. Um, uh, primarily, obviously, Michelet. Crimes, and crimes. We're, I want to mention it. We want to, we want to mention it, but we don't want to obviously you know, bog down on it, because uh, obviously this is a music podcast, this isn't really a true crime podcast or anything like that, so, I mean, what I could, what I will say is that at some point, don't know when, but at some point in the future, we will talk about something like this, or just the negative archetypes of hip-hop, which is obviously um, something that's very prevalent and worth talking about, but we won't talk about it in uh, in depth here, so we're just going to stick to the music here, but we are cognizant of it, and we just wanted you guys to know that. So, without further ado, uh, Ben, if you want to get started in wherever you want to go, I don't know, where you want to go, start, finish, <laughs> go, go, go where you want to go. Okay, so the first question I want to ask um, also, well said on the, the the stuff that's happened in Dre's past and the things that he's done. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. Like, I think it's important to be very aware of it, and we will talk about it at some point. But um, that's a whole podcast. But the question I wanted to ask you, because you said during the week that he wasn't really in your top five, so I think just just as a simple question, where do you rank Dr. Dre with regards to production? Uh, objectively, I will say, well, definitely top five. Um, if we're really just, if we're, if I'm, if you want to, if you want to force me to just uh, do this objective top five right quick and knock it out of my head, I'm gonna say, uh, in no particular order, it's like Dre, Kanye, uh, who else? Uh, maybe DJ Premier in my mind, Pete Rock in my mind, and who's the fifth? Uh, objectively, it's <sighs> hard. That's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm leave. I'm leave the fifth out. Just to, I know they're. I know they're definitely in the Mount Rushmore. I think in my mind, objectively. Now, personally, Dre isn't in my top five, and I said that. That's why I said to Ben. Subjectively, is my top five. But yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, I really should because there are a lot of Dre tracks I really highly rate, and I rate Dre just on a ethical uh, level in terms of just like how he does his music and you know how he how he works is kind of inspiring to think about and I would love to be in a room with him uh, just for a day and just watch him do his work do his things but um yeah subjectively he's not in my top five you want me to give my subjective one it's like Knife Wonder, Pete Rock, uh, Exile, uh, let me get my list up right quick but yeah it's um who else did I say 
Ninth Wonder, Jay Dilla, Pete Rock, Exile, and my number five. I've put, I've, I've cut it between DJ Premier and Just Blaze, but I'm probably gonna put, I'm probably gonna say just DJ Premier, and I'll, and I'll say Dr. Dre is right under there, okay. right under there, in, in like top the ten. sixth spot, uh, and then put Just Blaze like a number seven. So that's probably, that's probably my top seven, which I've all of a sudden done. But yeah, objectively, yeah, he's, he's definitely top five, of course. He's like, yeah. you know, for some people, he's probably number one. Uh, so it's, I think it's a toss up between him and Kanye, to be completely honest. Yeah, same. And I think also, like, in regards to just hip hop artistry, you know, like if you consider rapping, I know he doesn't write his own rhymes, but uh, I, I just place him so highly. And yeah. before we started this episode, like, I tweeted out because it was the anniversary of Compton and, and uh, the NWA straight out of Compton. I, I tweeted out about that and I was like, wow. I've got a lot of Dre statistics, and I'm not the biggest Dr. Dre fan, but anyone who says to me, oh, he's not top five, and it's rare, it's very rare if someone says that objectively, I hit them with all these stats, okay? So I'm going to just run these stats off, off the rip, off at straight start of the episode, because they're just, when we get to the end, you just be like, whoa, he's done all that. So as a producer, just the singles he's produced, he spent 683 weeks on the Hot 100, four number one singles and that's 18 weeks at number one he's produced 535 officially released tracks he has 57 million sales in riaa certifications as a producer he's the only this is this crazy he's the only hip-hop artist who has gone platinum in four separate decades there's no one else only ll cool j can can equal that but LL Cool J is not going to drop Stupid. platinum in 2019, and the Beastie Boys could could also equal that. But you know, uh, then they're not releasing music at the moment. Um, uh, he has 16 top 10 singles. The longest he has the second longest span. This was really crazy. So the second longest span between as a as a rapper, this is not not just as a producer. This is as a rapper. The second longest span between his first. Hot 100 top 10, and his most recent. Now, that means that his first, I think, was in 1992, and his most recent, I think, was I Need a Doctor. I think that was 2011, 2012. So that's 18 years. The most uh, is Eminem. That's, he was also 18 years. It was only about 100, uh, 100 days longer in the span. Um, only five rappers have a mm. Hot 100 top 10 as a lead artist after the age of 40. Dr. Dre is one of those. Uh, he has... He, okay, this one is crazy. <laughs> so he... I, I can't even believe this. Like, he had a seven-year run from 1987 to 1993, okay? He produced 95% or more of the songs on 10 different projects, and those projects went on to sell 22.2 million records in seven years. Jesus. Right, the, no other producer has ever had such a run. Manny Fresh was very close from '98 to 2004. He had 18.8 million in sales, but this was back in '87 to '93. Mm. You know, Manny Fresh was like right in the middle of the 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 blowing up of commercial hip hop. You know, the bling bling era. Everyone, you know, '98 had happened. '1998 mm-hmm. had happened, and I think that was a watershed year for for commercial hip hop. There was a lot of number one albums that year, but. Dr. Dre was doing this in the 80s and early 90s. That was crazy. It continues, all right? Dr. Dre's The Chronic is the first album on which the solo rapper produces all of the tracks 
and goes platinum. First album that's, that's ever happened with. Uh, DJ Quick's album, from it was released, I think, a few months prior, also went platinum, but not until two years after The Chronic went platinum. Um, you know, mm. he was like people forget that he was a rapper. You know, across NWA's two studio albums, he performed 22% of the vocals, and he has a production credit on all the songs. Um, it's just, it's really crazy. Uh, there's the final stat. Um, who who came up with this stat? Let me remember. Martin Connor. It was Martin Connor who came up with this stat. Shout out Martin Connor. If you ever listening to this podcast and you managed to come across this, you have been a very inspirational person to me. So from 2000 to 2009, the tracks that Dr. Dre produced, Martin Connor found that Dr. Dre had used 23 different instruments 388 times and an average of 6.5 different instruments per song. So... Uh, just like wow. I never realized all of this crazy stuff that Dr. Dre did until I sat down and put all of these statistics back to back to back to back to back. I'm like, wow, mm. man. No, because you know, subjectively, we talk about Dr. Dre being very influential, but objectively, like these are statistics. Mm-hmm. Like that's a crazy run. That, that I just took up ten minutes just just reading out statistics. Like I don't know. This is just a, such a crazy run from Dr. Dre. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest one that sticks out to me is that last one you gave about instrument instrumentation. Because I think the the main thing that we hail Dre for, I think is I it was two things. I think that we hail Dre for constantly and give him his flowers about his eye for, I guess, talent. Mm. <laughs> Just the the tree he has under him of like the people he's got he's put on is staggering you know just m50 kendrick technically uh anderson pack most recently you Snoop. know and that's just scratching the surface so Snoop. it's just it's just, and obviously helping start one of the greatest groups of all time yeah exactly so it's just it's, it's dumb that, that the eye for talent is dumb and just eye for potential and just seeing in someone that like you can do you can do well right here and i can help you do that that is stupid and the second one is his work ethic which comes across very very well in the documentary defiant ones which obviously uh, dropped uh, yeah. I think last last year or two years ago yeah that was cool yeah around like, over last year over a year ago and you know the thing that came across me for that was the work ethic and just how much you know how much uh, uh he resilience he had in doing in, in doing his work and not being deterred by whatever and just keep on doing it and just and just keep on working at the craft like being a perfectionist and being a you know easy to learn hard to master kind of a, a point of view but the instrumentation thing that you just mentioned there just opens up a whole new door in just appreciation because i'm just like you know, we 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 just always think that you know he's just uh, I don't know that he just s- s- sits in front of a mixing desk and just does it from there, and then maybe like you know get grab samples or crate digs like back in the day, but we don't imagine that he actually goes out and cops instruments and uses those instruments to make the songs. What was that? Six point something per six, song. Yes, that is six six point five that different is absolutely instruments. Yeah. At- absolutely silly amount that is actually crazy so the fact that he has that uh just uh, just that just that just blew my mind right there out of all of that because um that's just yeah that, that i didn't i didn't realize it was that uh i guess that intricate and, and that specific i'm going to get this instrument for this song you know what i mean it's just 
it's just it's just crazy to think about and it's something that you know hip-hop producers don't get respect for because you see i remember seeing a video uh, i think today or yesterday where it was like uh, quincy jones and herbie hancock uh, in a studio together being interviewed and they're just playing with a synth they're just playing around with a synth and they and behind them are just hundreds of other synths and just hundreds of other keyboards and pianos and stuff like that they have that's, that's all their gear you know what i mean that's i have they have all that gear and i, I think that's something that hip hop art uh, hip hop producers sometimes don't get credit for the fact that they actually you know obviously they go out and crate dig the 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 real ones anyway the the real ones no real hip hop <laughs> they go out and crate dig and actually find those samples but there's also one there's also the ones that go out not just cop samples but also cop instruments to help with the actual uh, with the whole track or album whatever they're creating so you know that's just something that's just the main thing like that uh, pulled out of that for real yeah that's a crazy stat uh, it, it's very interesting to me because a lot of people th- I've talked to think of Dre as you know as you said the mixer you know someone who sprinkles some some very very secret flavor onto songs and I want to get into a little bit about yeah. other producers who've spoken of Dr. Dre. And I've listened to a lot of uh, just interviews and podcasts with, with other rappers, uh, sorry, other producers. And they all just say he's special. Like we don't really know what he does and how he does it. I think it was Eminem who was talking about Dr. Dre trying to teach him about frequencies and the the perfect frequency for setting the perfect mood and creating the perfect energy and creating the perfect vibe. And he didn't just mean one perfect mm. energy or one perfect mm. vibe. You know, he was talking about, he was matching the frequency of the beats and the, the, the mixing and the production to the, the content and topic in the song. And I think Eminem said, you know, I, I wouldn't class Eminem as a great producer. I think he's a functional producer but, you know, he came up under Dre and he's just said, I mm-hmm. had no idea what was going on. I, I just didn't know how to do that. Like, And I was listening to Timberland talking about his start in hip hop. And he said he was hanging out with Dre in the early 90s and was just like awestruck. He's like, how is this guy doing this? You know, what what is he doing? And I think that that gets lost a lot. I like that Dr. Dre does get a lot of respect for his production because we talked about on the the, the producer episode the the lack of credit and the lack of kind of, I don't know what the right term is, but will we idolize rappers and kind of place them in stone? And even if they, you know, look at 50 Cent is a good example where he had a huge run in the early 2000s. It was only a couple of mm. albums, you know. It was only maybe four or five singles and that was it. But 50 Cent is always going to be remembered in hip-hop. He's always going to be a big name. Whereas producers, like, you might have a run. Like, how many people are talking about Manny Fresh in the same way that they're talking about 50 Cent? They're just not, you know. And, and the you know, as you say, mm. real ones know. Real ones do know that, that Manny Fresh soundtracked that entire Cash Money catalog back then. But apart from that, outside of that, he's not a world-renowned name. But Dr. Dre, I don't know how he did this. He kind of finessed it. But he kind of rose from behind the boards and became the person, just the the touch point, the 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 genre touch point back then. And I don't know really how he did that. Like, how do you think he did that? Because, I mean, he was he was rapping on on NWA stuff, and he had his own label. I understand all that, but mm-hmm. like, how do you think he just became this huge mega name so quickly? I think it's a matter of. Um... 
I mean, if we're going if we're going by the film, which we can for I think in this broad broader spectrum, it's not it's not very we're not going to be specific about it. But you know, if we go by the film, uh, Straight Outta Compton, it's um it, it was a matter of like <laughs> I could do I can I can flip this. Uh, and I can do more, basically. You know, he was he was DJing in a, uh, a in a basically a disco club, and he was like, "I can do more here." And obviously, he helped create NWA in in his in the in Cubes and Dre's mind, who obviously produced the whole film. Uh, they saw it as Dre had this idea, and he was like, "Easy, e, come come help me do this." And then he obviously and then they obviously came about. So I think. You know, from a uh, from a very basic human point of uh, point of view, I think personally, it's just a matter of demeanor, where you're seeing somebody wanting to do something, either something different or something more, and some people do. Some people gravitate to that. A lot of people gravitate to that, where you have confidence in yourself that you want to do this thing, and you know, we don't know if he actually knew that he would make it that f- make it as far as he got into i don't think he possibly could have imagined where, he, where he's at where he's at right now but he must have i think i think i would like to think that he saw himself as all right let's create this group uh let's make some let's make some dope music and whatever happens happens you know what i mean and you know take the spoils if they're spoils and i think i, th- I think i would like to think that's how how he came about it but I was answering your question. I just think it's a matter of demeanor, where he wanted to do something different, and he did do something mm. different. And luckily, he had he had some world class talent in Ice Cube, one of the most underrated uh, lyricists in MC Ren, mm. one of the most authentic personalities in hip hop history in Easy E, mm. and DJ Yella, who's a, who's an amazing DJ in his own right. So he just happened to f- again. This this is it. He just he found the talent. He saw he saw it. I would I would like to think he saw it. You know, I, I could be just giving him way too much credit here for starting the WA, <laughs> but you know he he saw something there and he and he and he obviously persisted, going like, hey, come, come let's come do this, let's do this, let's do this, and when you have someone like that. Um, when you have someone like that that is very driven in what they want to do and can help you see it then it's a wrap if they, if if you can find a person that helps uh, that or if you have an idea and you have the ability to project that to someone in a way that looks enticing then it's a wrap <laughs> you can do anything honestly that's how that's how i feel personally when it comes to just you know if we're getting real philosophical, and real, you know, in terms of morals, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think he just has that knack to be persistent and be resilient. Saying to someone, "This, this hey, this idea is dope. This idea is dope. Trust me on this. If you trust me on this, we will get somewhere." And you know, it's worked for most. Of, it's worked most of the time. You know, the the track record shows. So, um, I just honestly think that's. Uh, I think I think that's how it, I was. Um, I don't think that's how it is. I think it's just a. A drive, I guess, and the ability to um, project it to someone, because it's hard doing that sometimes. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard trying to get someone to say uh, to see your vision. Yeah. It is hard. It's hard to do. I've tried it a few times, and it it, it just doesn't work. Maybe it's because of me not being persistent enough, or just I don't know. I don't know whatever reason, but 
he he managed to do it and i think that's part i think that's part of his just significant dna where it's just like uh the ability to just have this passion and show it in your face and show it in your and show it in your words just saying it uh and getting people to jump aboard i think that's a genuine part of it yeah i think there's a lot of different factors at play i think that's a that's a huge part you know i, I was doing some research on creativity and success and and how there's i forget what the the phenomenon mm-hmm. is called but it's kind of like when you're starting out as a creative uh success is not linear we might have even talked about this where it's like zero 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 one two three four five six seven eight like goes up very quickly like once you get your foot in the door and you're creative and you're very good at what you do you 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 plane up very quickly and i think with dr dre there are so many Mm -hmm. different uh, so many different factors at play firstly he's very very talented at what he does as a producer and so immediately that's giving you some capital in the industry. Like you just need to get your foot in the right doors and people mm-hmm. will jump on your back with you and and or or help you towards. Secondly, he has he's very entrepreneurial minded. You know, he strikes out on his own, creates a label. Um he knows how to to foster talent and that is an in, that is an essential part. If we look at like like that longevity is crazy to me. You know, four decades of of platinum music and i don't you know this is all pre-streaming nowadays people are devaluing the 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 idea of a platinum album but this was pre-streaming people had to pay their money for this they didn't get the free tier of spotify and just stream compton for you Mm -hmm. know 10 hours on repeat every day like there was no streaming farms behind this it was like he people went out and bought his music because it was good quality and longevity is very important and i think one of the most important parts of longevity is reinventing yourself. I don't really think, and I think that the great thing mm-hmm. about Dr. Dre is, I think he reinvented a little bit in the early '90s with uh, with G Funk and and that direction that he took West Coast hip hop. But I never really felt mm. his production was like super diverse over his career. I never really felt like he he took it in like really discordant crazy directions you know i think timberland is kind of the master of that where it's very easy to pin down or it's easy to subjectively say i know timber like i can hear a timberland beat but you can't look at the elements of a timberland beat and be like oh okay now i you know this must be a timberland beat on paper because his sounds are just so widespread whereas dr dre i felt like really tapped into Mm. an aesthetic and a sound and kept it for his whole career, and yet he manages managed to stay relevant for a really long time. And I think a huge part of that is his eye for talent. And we see it with uh, Doctor Dr. Dr- uh, sorry, not Doctor Dr- Doctor Drake. We see it with Drake now, where he just jumps on uh, random tracks from whoever's popping, or he gets whoever's going well right now onto his song, and it it kind of like re ups his relevancy. With Dr. Dre, it's much more, I feel it's much more organic because he's behind the scenes, but he's like soaking in what they're in and he's involved as well. You know, with Eminem, like he basically just re-upped his fame to a huge level. You know, he was in the, he was in music videos with Eminem. Like he was, he catapulted him back to the the top of mainstream hip hop. And I know that uh, 2001 was a great album, but that came out in 99 and and Dr. Dre was still like at the very pinnacle in like 0304. So he he made that album run for 5 6 years. 
Like, it was incredible. And then he just re-upped again in the 2010s with I Need a Doctor with Eminem, which hit number four and went platinum. So I think a huge part of it is mm. that eye for talent. And if you look at like, he hasn't missed, man. I, I, I guess we haven't gone through every single artist he's tried to put on. There, there might be some misses in there, but those hits obscure the misses by so much. Like, you only need one of those a decade. You know, you only need one Snoop Dogg in the 90s you only need one eminem in the 2000s but he got eminem and 50 cent like and and then the game as well you know he was just it's it's quite amazing for an for someone to be so proficient in so many different areas especially in hip-hop i don't think we've ever seen anything like that before yeah i i yeah i would agree that it's it's something unique in his ability to, I guess, shed skin and to evolve. I think the longevity is definitely a matter of... I think it's a matter of having the ear to realise that the sound you did before isn't going to fly, but also having the ability to make it... to make the, to make the current wave slap but, but make it uh but make it make it not too you know uh, i guess uh, manufactured if that makes any sense there's yeah. still a there's still a soul in it i guess if if we want to talk about it that's what because when you when you when you mentioned drake i was i was about to just i was i was looking at i was side-eyeing really hard i was like <laughs> where's he going <laughs> where's ben going with this i was dragging but i think that okay. i think that's the difference i think that's the difference <laughs> I think that's the difference if we are comparing in that fa- in that fashion in terms of like trying to keep up with the times. Obviously, more recently, there are uh, the because of how uh, our our world is constantly on to the next one kind of thing. The trends the trends change very quickly. Uh, in the I guess in the nineties, it was obviously there was obviously like a. Well, 80s, it was obviously gangster rap. 90s, more G-funk. 2000s, back to gangster in a way. And then uh, uh, sort of like a mix with other stuff. And then 2000s, whatever, <laughs> whatever's going on during that specific year. So, you know, I think uh, in this case, he picks his moments uh, to uh, to do to do his thing. If we take like some a, a relevant a recent example like Anderson Pack, um... I mean, Oxnard of Ventura, which obviously he uh, helped uh, executive produce, and um, I don't I haven't looked at the track listings. So I assume he's produced a few tracks on there. But um, in terms of like executive producing, you, you you just know, you just know Dre had a hand yeah, in it, yeah, simply because clean. of how how clean it was, very how clean. clean it was. Like every single nothing was out of place, nothing yeah. was out of place. And sometimes that can be, you know, detrimental. Some people like the some people like the all over the placeness of some of some pieces of work, but in that case, it, uh, in my mind, I think it worked be- just because of it, um, and it's it, that ability to uh, to to keep your work ethic and to keep that um, perfectionism, but still be able to shed skin and to uh, keep up with the times is something extraordinary, and it's hard to it's it's hard to do that. And not be called a wave rider. <laughs> mm. Hence, why I'm going back to Drake here. It's it, the the reason why I say that with Drake is simply because 
are partly because of the times and because everything's going so fast. You know, when was dance halting? Like three years ago? <laughs> Where's it now? It's, it's gone pretty much. It's gone pretty much from the from the um, especially like the US charts and the UK charts. It's, it's nearly it's nearly gone. Well, the UK is actually it's still there in the UK, but that's only because there's people like Steph London still keeping it going. But in, anyway, that's more natural. When Drake comes in, it just ugh, it just it just don't feel right. It don't feel right to me. It's like you, you it's clearly this is clearly a wave, and you're just hopping on it. Mm. But when Drake does it, well, he doesn't do it. He takes elements of what's going on right now but he still keeps to the fundamentals of I guess music making whatever you want to call it he still sticks with the fundamentals and I just uh, and that's something that needs to be hailed to be able to evolve uh, but to also stick with um, your your foundations and still stick with that perfectionism it's just uh I mean, it's the it's the key, man. It's yeah. the key. Let's, Major key. No, let's, no Khaled. Major key, no Khaled. <laughs> man, we we every week every week there's a Khaled mention. I don't know what's going on. We're gonna have to rename this podcast. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That was a complete accident. That was a complete accident. I had to, I had to put a pause on that. <laughs> uh, I think we should talk about Dr. Dre's <laughs> solo album career because, uh, look, he has Ghost Riders. Okay, we have to discuss that for some reason. He get I, I don't really know how I feel about this whole ghostwriting thing in hip hop. For some reason, he always gets a pass, a complete pass yeah. when it comes to ghostwriters. People aren't putting him on their top MCs list. Okay, that's you know I understand that, but there's this kind of um, what's the right word? There's like something around rappers who've had ghostwriters. Even the 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 female rappers of the '90s who people said male rappers wrote their rhymes. It's like it it immediately excluded them mm. from the conversation. It's like, okay, you don't count now because you didn't mm. write your rhymes. Now, I've listened to a lot of Dr. Dre solo rapping and I've tried to rap along. Like, I'm just going to say it. I think he's a good rapper. I think he's a very, very good rapper. And I think there's a complete difference between an MC and a rapper. Rapping a rapper is just the actual act of laying vocals on a song and the skill that is attached to that, the quality that comes out of that, I think for like especially someone who doesn't write his own rhymes, like yeah. someone hands him a sheet of paper, right, and says, "Can you rap this?" But he raps it, you know, it's incredible. And and sometimes he's double timing, sometimes he's very quick, but he always sounds laid back in his delivery. But he he always sounds calm and assured. You know, some rappers who mm-hmm. really get into their work when they're rapping quickly, like Jay Z on um, Jigga What Jigga Who, like. He sounds like he's struggling on that. You know, I know that he can rap super fast, but it's really not like, it's not as calm as Dr. Dre's. I know he doesn't rap as fast as that, but I don't really see what the Mm. problem is that much with having your rhymes written for you. And I think the people that he's got around him, and I've been thinking about this a lot because Chance the Rapper's album had... 6.9 6.9 producers per track, I think, or 6.2 or something. It was the highest producers per track of a of a top 10 album this decade, I'm pretty sure. I think I ran through those numbers, or it was around that. And I was like, and then people were wow. criticizing, because I posted some Kanye stats the other day, right? And uh, people were critical of how little he produces alone now. People were talking about Otis and how I think it was No ID or Mike Dean was in the room with him and before he produced that beat. And he's like, you know, all these co-producers is really cool, but 
can you still produce by yourself? And Kanye made that beat in 20 minutes. You know, it's an incredible beat. He just, just did it. And so I was thinking about this concept of how, and Kanye said it before, it's like, why wouldn't you ask these people to help you out in this situation? What? Why wouldn't you, if you want to create the best music? And someone said it about uh, the documentary mm. by The Game. Someone on Twitter said that, because I said, that's a classic. You know, I think that's a classic album. And Dr. Dre was heavily involved in that as well. And someone yeah. replied, how can it be a classic if 50 Cent said he wrote most of the album? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think that makes any difference whatsoever to whether it's a classic or not. I think it would make a difference to whether how you view the game as a lyricist. But again, you know, that that's just a theory. I think that's mm. been debunked by many people. I don't think that's actually what happened. I think 50 Cent wrote some hooks on that album. But again, like, I don't think it takes away from Dre. Like, when I listen to him on, on, on a track, I'm not like, oh, man, he didn't even write this. Like, I'm like, this is, he's spitting heavy on this. Mm. So I don't really get the, the, the rhetoric around that. I, I can kind of understand sometimes with Kanye where people are, especially I think it was Violent Crimes. Remember someone came out and said they wrote that for him. That one hurt a little bit because that was quite a personal song. But with Dr. Dre, I don't feel like they're, really personal mm. anecdotes and, and deep stories that I want to get emotion from him. I, he just sounds really cool on the track, and I don't have a problem with it, to be honest. Yeah, I think... There's a lot There's a lot to unpack there. So <laughs> I, think there's a, I think one thing is the fact that when Dre, you know, raps, he just sounds... It just sounds natural. It, it really does sound natural. It's... it's, it's is it's great. It's great to listen to you know uh, the deep cover and just just hear him go with Snoop with it. It's just it just works. It really does work from just a chemistry perspective. Um, I think in that specific argument of Dre not writing his raps and people knowing that, I I think that's I think that's fine. I guess simply because we everyone knows him as a producer and you know I, I think it's fair to say that you know you don't have to it's similar to I guess um what's I'm trying to think of a, a film analogy or, or comparison for it but it's kind of it's kind of like he's it's kind of like he's the actor in it it's like mm. he's like he's creating the film right he's directing he's editing this film we're going to call it The Chronic, okay? And he's he's acting in it. He's acting in it. And someone screen wrote for him. That's kind mm. of the analogy I give this. Now, on the ghostwriting thing, just the overall point, um, I, I, I do kind of just get a little bit... I, I understand it, but I also get a little bit confused by it sometimes because I look at some album track listings and... You know, even from like a, I don't know, from like a Kendrick album, there are, you know, there are writers other than him on there, but we don't, you know, accuse Kendrick of ghostwriting. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if it's a matter of assumption that we uh, just assume that he do, that he doesn't, because no, why I would think... he say he's the greatest and then have, uh, you know what I mean? Is it a matter of being, yeah, go, go for it, go for it. Reply. No, I just, I just think with Dr. Dre, it's like, it's been confirmed. I think that's the difference. You know, I remember Eminem saying about Kendrick, uh, on Love Game, and he was a little bit curious about Kendrick's pen, so he said, "You got to write your verse here." And he locked everyone out of the studio, and, and Kendrick knocked it out of the park. I think with Dr. Dre, it's definitely a uh, you know, it's a well-known thing. So 
I think those extra riders on yeah. those tracks are. Yeah, it could be anything, you know, riding a hook. They could be from the original sample. There's there's a whole there's a whole realm of that. And a lot of people said, like, a ghost rider is a ghost rider. They're not even credited as riding. Like, that's the thing with Dr. Dre. I don't know yeah. that his ghost riders are actually credited. I don't know that Jay-Z is credited on those songs or Eminem is credited on the songs that they penned those verses for him. So I think it's more of an explicit thing. Like, Dre's never shied away from it. He's always owned it and been like, yeah, man, I don't write my own rhymes. Like... What's the big deal? Okay, okay, yeah. I guess that's. I guess that's fine. I guess it's a matter. Of, I think I'm confusing this. I think I'm just like, okay, there are co-writers and then there's ghostwriters. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I get it. That's fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It can. It, it does get a bit confused to me on that argument because I, I. I don't know why I get confused if I just do, but yeah. Um. Obviously, we just we just see Dre as a producer anyway, and the fact that he raps on a couple of songs, uh, uh well, most of his songs anyway, um, is just an. It's just a. It's just a nice addition, you know. What I mean, it's just it just fit, it just it just goes with it, and he's he's building this world anyway uh, with like the Chronic or two thousand and one, and you know if if he has co-writers, then he has co-writers. You know what I mean? No, we don't, we, with that. You know, it's fine. Yeah. I guess it's uh, I guess that's some. I guess that's just it. The um, he. Um, I don't know if he put it on wax, saying like I have I have writers and it's fine, and and you know I'm I'm just trying to focus on the beats to be completely honest, and if they have good raps, they have good raps. Um, if he said that on wax, then fine. Uh, if he didn't, then whatever. Or if other people said it for him, then I don't really know. But yeah, I just um, that is an interesting conversation. I always just get a little bit of just uh, I don't know. I I just always end up going eh. Do the beat slap? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yep, I just, same, uh, I'm same. just like, I'm not looking, for, I'm not looking for, Dre, I'm not looking. I'm, let's be real, we're not looking for looking to Dre for the hardest bars of all time. You know what I mean? Uh, the Chronic yeah. isn't lyrically dense. Two thousand one isn't lyrically dense. It's the world. It's the world he's creating with the with those albums, and we love it. Regard, and we love it because of that. We love it because of the amazing production, the amazing features, and everything that goes with that. All the bells and whistles. We're not here to lyrically break down Dr. Dre. That's not what we're here for. Um, and, we, and the same with N.W.A. We're not here for Dre. We're not here for Dre's uh, raps. We're here for Cube's raps. We're here for MC Ren's raps, and we're here for DJ Yeller and Dre beats. That's what we're here for. So it's just yeah. a matter of knowing outright what we're here for, and you know, it's just uh, it's just how it is. Sometimes when it, you know when it comes to like Kanye. I am like that. I'm like I'm. I'm here for your production. To be completely honest, Kanye, I'm not here for your bars. I really aren't. So, and I think that's. <laughs> I think uh, going to your uh, uh, why why people were whinging about uh, co-producers. I think that's it. On the Kanye side, it's just a matter of people going. You know, we're here. We were. We used to be here for your production, and your bars were okay. You know, and uh, well, sorry, we're here for your beats, and we're and we're in your bars are okay. So, and when he started going to you know other people for production and started working with other producers, it kind of just felt like he's watering down his art, I guess. And that's uh, and you know, cause, and because some people think everything past uh, uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy is either trash or just meh or all over the place or however you want to think about the other uh, one two one two albums or three albums nearly. Um, you know, it's just how you think, and uh, that's, I think that's a, a real, a real point that we uh, get to, especially when it comes to Kanye. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, the thing that worries me about that is, is my about my dark, my 
Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, sorry, had, I think, like, 4.8. See, this is why I just say Dark Twisted Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, Dark Twisted Fantasy. I think it had, like, 4.2 or 4.8, something around that, producers per track. So it was already in that category. And I guess it doesn't really... To me, it doesn't matter as long as the, pro- the, the, the end product is really good. But we do have to talk very quickly about Ghost Producers because this is something that has followed Dr. Dre around his whole career... A lot of people have written him off as a producer by saying he didn't actually produce those beats. Now, I did a little bit of research, and all of the the accusations and all of the the, the rumors seem to congregate around Doggy Style and uh, his first album, The Chronic. It's not really prior to that, and it's certainly I've never seen anything after that. Now, there's this producer called Chris Taylor. And uh, he said that he produced a couple of songs. He said he did the keys on California Love. He also produced Doggy Doggy World. He produced Explosive. He said that, well, that was, I think that was on the 1999, the Chronic 2001. So he was like, he, he went all the way up until the early 2000s or the late 90s. And he said that he didn't get credit on a lot of the things that he produced for Dr. Dre or helped in the studio with. He said that uh, there was a couple of songs where um, Phone Tap on The Firm was one of those. And he had this really interesting... There were two things that struck me about this. The first was that Snoop wanted to shout him out on Doggy Style, according to Chris Taylor. And Suge Knight said, don't do that. So Chris Taylor always said he thought it was Suge Knight who was saying, "Don't you don't deserve credit or you're not going to get credit. We're going to pay you, but that's it. You're not going to get any credit. The other thing he said mm. was very interesting. And I don't know, like, because it, because Snoop's going to debunk all of this uh, when I get to it. But he, Chris Taylor said, uh, it's like the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. He, he claims, and I don't know anything about this, but apparently a lot of people painted that. It wasn't just Michelangelo. And he said that Michelangelo was the person right. connected to the Vatican that could get the money. Dr. Dre was the guy connected to Jimmy Iovine that could get us all paid. And so they kind of like jumped in the car behind Dr. Dre and he drove to the money and they were all in the the seat and then he handed it all out and then they all got out of the car and then he drove off to wherever he wanted to go after that. But he didn't give credit. Now that's what he said. Daz Dillinger also said similar things. He said that he did a lot of the songs on... uh, He said he did Ain't No Fun. He said he did Rat-a-tat-tat-tat. Uh, he said he did a bunch of songs where he was just credited as program drums or the programmer. And um, yeah, again, he said the same thing. But actually, Suge actually came out himself. He said, okay, I'm going to quote him here. He said, everybody thought Dr. Dre would be doing the records, but Daz pretty much did the whole album. We're talking about Doggy Style. At the end of the day, once Daz finished it, Everyone wanted Andre, Dr. Dre, to get the credit. Next thing I know, Daz is having a meeting with Andre and them and came back and said, it's okay, give me a few bucks and I'll sign over anything that says produced by Andre instead of me. I'll sign anything over that says... So basically, Suge said that Daz produced most of that album and then didn't really care about getting credit. But Snoop came out and debunked Mm. the whole thing. He said that... uh, those artists didn't have their deserve to have their name out there like that because Dr. Dre did all the work. 
He said, so what you, he says, so what, you found a cool little sample and a drum file, but he brought it to life. He really produced the track. <laughs> Producing is bringing the track to life. Beat mm. makers make beats. A lot of people make beats. He produces mm. tracks. So, look, man, it, it's messy. It sounds really messy. And you're getting some, you're getting Suge originally saying Dr. Dre gets the credit, and then Suge taking that back and saying, actually, Daz Dillinger produced everything. You're getting Chris Taylor saying, like, I got, I, I produced the entire explosive beat and didn't get any credit. But then you've got the guy who actually made the album, Snoop, coming out and saying, no, actually, Dr. Dre produced everything. So it's really hard to, to kind of get your head around that. Yeah. I mean, well, firstly, you didn't know about Michelangelo. Come on, man. Get, get your game up. I know get about good, Sistine Chapel, but um, I don't know well so... <laughs> much about the, the, the backstory behind it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'm pulling your leg, bro. I don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that just, um, that's just uh, as a real, as a real <clears throat> fascinating story. Uh, I think uh, I think that just goes back to, you know, our previous episode about producers and credit you know it's not even just we can go deeper in this it doesn't even it doesn't have to be producers it could be engineers programmers yeah. you know it's just producers on their own don't get enough credit and then there's a load of people behind that you know it's the 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 help out as well so you know credit is credit is always a funny thing it's obviously always a uh it's always a subjective matter of how how much you think you can contributed um and you know Dre, like I think, like many producers uh, uh, in 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 the game, you know, have have moments of you know uh, of a uh, uh, dispute, you know, and just a creative dispute. But to round it all off, because I want to get to a couple of lighter notes, um, and I might I might take a while on those to be completely honest. Okay. okay. Um, to finish off, um, I think uh, when it comes to uh, Dre and his uh and his artistic legacy, um, it's 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 one I it's one I admire from from afar, uh, and like I said at the beginning, would love to just be in a room with him, <laughs> just from just to pick his brain. Uh, I think his music brain is one of the best we, um you know music has had in the past fifty years. I truly believe that. Um, I think that was birthed out of just the love for the game, I think. And I think, I keep saying I think, <laughs> he, he has this, he has this uh, thing where he can balance both the business side and the artistic side. He can do both. And I, th- and that is, I'm trying to stop saying I think, that is something that is try that is something, um, I think it's really unique. You know, it's really unique to have a producer like that or an artist like that that can do both, that can sort out the business side of it, but also put as much effort as possible into the creative elements and to make actual good music. Mm. Sometimes it can be the other way. Sometimes it's like a, I will say it again, like a DJ Khaled that focuses on the marketing, on all this crap, and then gets... (laughs) Allegedly, somebody else to do the creative side. Mm. Allegedly, and then there's somebody like uh, who's on the creative side. I guess um, like a real classic, uh, like a Pete Rock. I guess where it's just crate digging, 
I want to get the fattest beats. I want to have the cleanest, you know, just the cleanest uh, rhythms. Everything has got to be on point. And they focus on that. But Dre has both. Dre can do both immaculately. And I think that is something that should be hailed uh, 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 on top of the other things that we have uh, talked about today. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think Dr. Dre is a very rare individual. I think, yeah, I think we nailed it. I think that's that's a good conclusion. Yes, a real rare breed. So getting onto a lighter note, um, I have okay. two, and I want to keep. I'll keep one short, simply just just simply because I want to indulge on the second one. Uh, the first one is uh, obviously there was news in the past couple of days about De La Soul, uh, who mm, are trying yeah, to that was rough. basically get compensation for their back catalogue. Well, by back catalogue, I mean you know the the legendary stuff, the three feet high and risings, the stakes is high, all that's all that good stuff. Obviously. Owned by Tommy Boy, uh, their record, la- their well, former record label, and they've been at this bis- dispute, I think, for over a year or just uh, just around a year now, and it's kind of depressing to look at, and it's a real, and in my opinion, it's a real lesson to not just hip hop people, but produ- well, uh, but groups and artists and just uh, people in music in general. There are a lot of times when, and it's similar to, I guess, a. Uh, uh, like Taylor Swift, who got her music, her back catalogue bought by uh, that scooter dude, and um, yeah, it's it's it must be very, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word, demoralising to have to to know that somebody owns your work, you know, and your mm. masters. That must be depressing. So you know, the, uh, so big up De La Soul for continuing on the fight. Uh, they've clearly hit a wall, and uh, we don't know where it's going to go now. Um, and if it, and you know, they did, they didn't urge this, but they hinted at it. If you, if you, if it ever, if their formal work ever goes on streaming, guys, do not listen to it. Um, I know it's, you know, an important part of hip hop history. I think all this dispute is doing is actually diminishing and fading out. Uh, De La Soul's true legacy as a hip hop group. I think yeah. if if they if all their work was there and they had their masters, they would be up there in the constant conversations about our favorite groups of all time. And I think sometimes they get left out simply just because we forget we forget they're there. Um, and uh, so if you don't have their vinyl or CDs or cassette, then you know what do you have? Um, you have and the anonymous known body in the grind date. So um, you know, unfortunate there, uh, but. Um, Hopefully, Daylar can uh, get something, um, get their correct conversation, like uh, like all I should, in my opinion. I don't know if you have anything to uh, say on that. I uh, just like it's really sad. I mean, we only get one side of the story, of course. I don't think Tommy Boy is ever going to come out and and explain their side of the story. But uh, I'm I'm hesitant then to mm. to because re- because with the Taylor Swift thing, I mean, she came out and and was hypercritical. And then people came out like with receipts and was like, bro, no, you had the opportunity to buy your own masters, you turned it down. Um, so there was actually like her narrative was not 100% correct. I don't want to place, I don't want to say anything about that yeah. with De La Soul. I don't know what the, I don't know the whole story, but oh, I no, do no. remember. I was just, I was just doing it at least. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's the, the, like, as you said, like, it's just the sad situation that, yeah, this this part of hip hop history, which is very important, is not available to the youth because that's what the youth do. They they stream, and it's not available to them. I remember exactly. a few years ago, maybe like yeah. five or six years ago, D La Soul teamed up with BitTorrent, I think, and they were releasing 
uh, I don't know if they were releasing their back catalogue. I don't think it was. I think it was new music that they were putting on BitTorrent and they had these bundles and you could download like a DLR Soul bundle. I've probably got it somewhere mm. on my computer still. And I really thought that was a new era for them. Like I'm like, oh man, they're really like embracing technology. But, you know, it's just another sad thing mm. where the, the, the music industry is very powerful and very important because it monetizes art which is really hard to do for creative people you know it's they they need to create that's the point you know you, you want to spend most of your time creating you don't want to spend your time worrying about the business but unfortunately there are people out there who are going to exploit mm-hmm. you for your art and they're they're soulless i, I, mm-hmm. I can't say it any other way you're, you're a soulless person if you're exploiting if you're using someone else's artistic uh product and expression to make you rich at the expense of them you're a soulless person and, and you have a problem. You, you need to seek therapy or, you know, you're not going to be happy when you're 80 unless you really truly are a bad person. And then, so yeah, it's just sad. It's just sad. Yes. In the word of Jizza, Tommy ain't my motherfucking boy. Mm. Uh, and moving on to my second line note, it is, well, well, it's not in your time zone. <laughs> it's already passed, but it is still, uh, it is still the 11th of August for me. Uh, here in the UK, which means it is hip hop's birthday, and I just yes, wanted to, yes. I guess, commemorate in a, in in a small sense. Uh, I I always have, I always have thoughts on this day. I always uh, feel kind of, I always feel kind of giddy on this day, honestly, because uh, it, it always, it, we we don't have this with other genres of music, or just or just you know other pieces of culture <clears throat> we don't have like a specific day where we could where we all consensus consider this thing was born um we don't have that for rock or jazz or you know whatever we don't have it for that kind of stuff so uh it's it's so it makes me happy to to know that we have this kind of day to you know reflect and celebrate uh the thing that we you know, spend an hour a week talking about, and yeah. and you obviously doing statistics on, and me just appreciating it in all forms. Um, I think putting it simply, and I'll talk for my, I'll talk to you know, uh, in my perspective here of what hip hop means to me quite quickly. Um, you know, back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean about six, five, six years ago. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't really into anything. You know, I was always cognizant of hip hop, I guess, and 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 the music. And uh, I had uh, uh, speaking uh, mentioning Fifty Cent. I think I'd like get Rich or Die trying on CD or, and stuff like that. So you know, I was always cognizant of hip hop, but it was never a matter of it. It didn't. It, I didn't let it actually you know embrace me like I did uh, when I was about seventeen. And ever since then, I truly believe that it really made me into the person I am at the moment. Um, in terms of you know, discovering constantly uh, in terms of learning, not just not just in a music sense, or uh, but just in life in general, uh, just trying to discover new things and to read new things and whatever, and listen to new things. Um, because of hip hop and the concept of you know sampling, taking songs from way back when that were. There were uh, there were like covering uh, that dust was covering, and then some producer just takes it out of a warehouse and uses it, and it makes it into a hit song. You know, people t- people take that, and then they discover that other person that they sampled, and it's and all those moments that I that I get, um, 
a real significant one for me recently was uh, I was listening to Terrace Martin's uh, uh, L.A. Dreaming. And I listened to that and I loved it. And I listened to it for about two years on regular rotation. And then I got into Quincy Jones at one point. I listened to The Dude and <laughs> the song Something Special came up. And the saxophone solo I clocked immediately was from L.A. Dreaming. And that rush you get from mm. just discovering something on your own mm. is something that I can't I, I just cannot fathom and it just the, I couldn't read really, I can't really describe how giddy I was in that moment of discovering that um and to and for people like producers since we've been talking about producers all episode imagine doing that constantly <laughs> just crate digging and just finding these gems and being and having the vision to put this on a track is amazing to me and that's just one part of hip-hop you know there's that we always talk about the music and we always talk about you know djs and producers as well but we also need to remember there's also there's also break dancing there is also graffiti and all of this in my mind is in the umbrella of what i always preach at the start of the episode the fifth element which is knowledge and it's all the umbrella of that all in the umbrella of gaining knowledge, not just of music, but of also in art and the inspirations and the growth and the roots that hip hop has made in the in the past. It's not even 50 years old yet. And the yeah. roots it has in all corners of the globe right now, in every form of art, painting, film, television, news, politics even, it's everywhere. It's in people's lexicons now. And uh, it's yeah. in people's fashion sense. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything. There's been anything like hip hop, especially in the last fifty years. And uh, you know, personally, I just find it. I just find myself so grateful that I can appreciate it for what it is. That I can take this day and to say, "Happy birthday, hip hop!" In a way, and you know, it brought me to people like you. It brought me to other people. It brought me to people that helped me create the site and helped me make friends. <laughs> it's great. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's beautiful. That sense of community is exactly, it is beautiful. So, you know, um, happy birthday to hip hop. I, I really want to do something for that 50th birthday. It's coming up in a few years and I just really want to do something special for that. But uh, at this time, I'll just uh, keep it to a few words. Well, I don't know how long that took, about five minutes probably. <laughs> no, it was beautiful, man. No, that actually chokes me up a little bit. That's a really beautiful thing. I, it, I mean, hip-hop, I was trying to think of like what it actually, what impact it had on my life and what it meant to me. And I don't know that there's anything that's had a deeper impact from for such a long period of time because I came into hip-hop I was grew up on rock music and, and electronic music and then I came into hip hop when I was, you know, thirteen, fourteen. So I was right in that phase of I guess curiosity and, and trying to learn about the world and I don't I, I don't know how anything else, mm -hmm. any other genre could possibly teach you as much as hip hop. It's just the amount of things I've learned from hip hop is inquantifiable and, and you can't even like other genres wouldn't even come remotely close and other things you know sure we could point to the internet and say that but like you know that's just the structure that that people use to get their messages across hip-hop is the message you know and 
I remember the first time I really started to get dragged into it was when I was listening to Moment of Clarity by Jay-Z. And his raps are, truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil. I've been rhyming like common sense. If your sense had that much in common, you've been hustling since your inception. Fuck perception. Go with what makes sense. Since I know what I'm up against. It's like my mind just exploded when I heard that. I'm like, what the hell did I just listen to? And ever since then, it's just taught me like we, I think I spoke about it on one of the earlier podcasts about how it just opened my eyes to a whole other side of the world. And it's open, it's, it's opened my heart, honestly. I, I think a lot of my empathy comes from listening to hip hop and listening to them. You know, these rappers talk about oppression and racism and things that I've, I would never experience. You know, I'm a white guy from Sydney. I might see it. I might like see it from afar. I might see it happen when, when Australians talk uh, in derogatory ways towards Aboriginals, but I, I can't feel it. You know, I never felt the stories. I didn't hear the stories, but I immersed myself in them and it's just made me a significantly better person. And I hope made the people around me significantly better people. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to identify what it really means. It's become my life, honestly, like hip hop has become my life. It's my job. It's, it's my passion. It's my friends are from hip hop. You know, I talk about it constantly. I listen to it all the time. It's just, yeah, it's very, it's incredibly special. It's an incredibly special movement. And, and it's more than just the genre, you know, it's, it is a movement and it's, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, I'm not surprised that it's now so successful worldwide. I think it. Sh- I think it will only continue to grow. Someone said to me the other day, "Do you think that?" Because I-, I tweeted out about how hip hop has now overtaken pop for the last three years on the charts, and they said, "Do you think hip hop will ever fall off?" And I said, "I don't see how it possibly could." Mm. You know, it's way too diverse. Like a lot of people point to rock and say, "Oh yeah, that's no one's no one's listening to rock music." I'm like, because it never evolved. There's not enough scope for evolution in that genre. Mm. In hip hop, you can talk about whatever you mm. want. You know, I, I analyze Layla's Wisdom by Rhapsody and like she's running three concurrent themes through it. She's running like this punchline rap that she has going on. She's also like delivering lessons and wisdom and knowledge and she's like doing narrative storytelling. And then I analyze Rick Ross's album and he's like putting me up on all this game about like Vacheron, you know, these watch brands and like all this luxurious stuff. It's like these two albums are right next to each other in the same genre. They're both rapping, but they're so different. And you're learning so much different stuff from them. So hip-hop can't die. It's not possible. You know, it's just, it's a force. It's a force. Exactly. It's driven by, you know, another 80 years of just on-point music in America of, you know, blues and jazz. It's, it's built on the on those foundations. And uh, that's why I think it can't die because simply it just has the deep, the roots are too deep, the roots are way too deep, and uh, you know that's something that I you know highly appreciate. But well said, man. Well said, and uh, well said, I appreciate yeah. you for um, being on being 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 on this with me because uh, you know this is all this is this is all for you know just talking about hip hop once a week. So it's, it's yeah. all, that's what it's all about. But anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, right. I was hope you've enjoyed this episode of Digging Digits. I have been Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element, which is knowledge, by the way. I've been <laughs> <laughs> I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. 
<laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you all have a good week. We will try and do the same, and we shall see you next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show was edited by me. Music for this show, piece from video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chopper Records for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and your hop records will be in the description wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast network and hip hop by numbers collaboration. Thanks for spending the time with us, and we shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.